Today, I'm going to look at Mark 2, uh, where Jesus heals the paralytic. Uh, First of all, I'll read it as it's fairly short. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic man by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray in this time that you would uh, speak through me, that you would prepare our hearts, um, and that, uh, yeah, we would receive from you what you are wanting uh, us to hear. In Jesus' name, <coughs> Amen. Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, it's been a long time since I've preached. Um, in fact, I haven't preached at all since my reformation 18 months ago. So it's been uh, challenging, um, but also encouraging to read through the Bible um, and uh, learn the real meaning behind uh, a lot of passages, including this one. So um, yeah, it's been interesting to disregard the falsehoods that I once held on to and, and learn the true facts. So as I said, Mark 2, verse 1 to 12, Jesus heals the paralytic man. <clears throat> I'll put it in a bit, of a bit of a story. Imagine you're sitting in a room, crammed in like sardines in a black and gold tin, hearing what we believe to be the Messiah speaking, and whammo, cracks a foot through the ceiling... And four blokes start ripping apart the roof and they lower a man down on the bed. Now, at first glance, you think, oh, yeah, that's a pretty cool story. But have you ever thought the effort that it would go to to do that in that time? So in today's context, someone would have to get up there on the ladder. They'd have the impact driver. They'd be ripping out the screws, peeling off the tin, getting rid of all the gutter guard, trying to peel their way through all the insulation, uh, you know, all mine trying to not to fall through the ceiling, trying to figure out where to stand. It would be quite a big effort to do. And in fact, I think Jesus must have been preaching for more than 20 minutes. Um, so I did a bit of research in all of this. And uh, those days, the construction of houses in Jesus' time in Israel and Judah, they were constructed of stone walls. And uh, they had timber bearers for the ceiling. And they had leaves and branches on top of that. And then they would put a film of clay over the top for waterproofing. 
So there was no figuring out where to stand so you didn't fall through. And um, I've always been amazed that the text doesn't say who fixed the roof afterward. <laughs> it's an exciting event, um, not just because uh, of the courageous act of the people who lifted this man on a bed onto a roof, um, but it's also the first time throughout Jesus' ministry that he publicly claims to be God. At that time, if you knew the teachings of what is now the Old Testament, you would know that there is, there is one Son of Man and he is still yet to come. So this comes early in Mark's Gospel. And it's actually the story is not... It, it's also in Matthew and Luke. Um, and Mark has the most, detail, uh, most detailed account on it. So Jesus starts his ministry. We'll get a bit of pre pre-context we have Mark's gospel starts with Jesus being baptised by John John the Baptist he goes out uh, for 40 days in the wilderness and then he's tempted by Satan he then comes back into around Capernaum and starts to draw a crowd how does he do that? preaching um, largely healing miracles, casting out of demons um, in La- Derek's last sermon before he went on holidays, he talked about how the miracles Jesus performed are a sign which points to a greater meaning. And this passage is no exception. When I first read this passage as a child and for a number of years, I believe the take-home message was, Jesus can cure paralysis. And secondly, behind it, I noticed that in verse 4, Mark takes to mention that Jesus saw their faith. So in my sinful heart, I put two and two together. If I have enough faith, Jesus will tend to my need. Unfortunately, this isn't an uncommon thought. Now, I'm not throwing out the baby with the bathwater here. Undoubtedly and repeatedly through the entire Bible... Faith is mentioned as a crucial part of following Christ. And I also think that in this case, it is right for Jesus to invoke the importance of faith in him at this time as the Son of Man. Also remembering that Romans 12 verse 3, we ought to think with sober judgment each according to the faith that God has assigned. I want to make it really clear that faith is crucial. Faith isn't mustard or conjured. It is given by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, if you want more faith, pray, ask the Lord. You can't earn it or make it for yourself. The Lord gives it. John 6 verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It also means, secondly, that my faith can't cause God to action. Whilst in this case Jesus was compelled by their faithful action, this is not a principle. As there are other instances in the New Testament where Jesus heals people who they never knew him. And the healing of the pill at the cedar comes to mind. So we can't force God to action with our faith. We can only pray in accordance to his will. How do we know his will? We read the word. 
and study it and pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. John 5 verse 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Note, it doesn't say that we can, our faith determines what uh, Jesus does. So let's continue to delve into this miraculous event as a sign. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Now, it's an interesting name, especially because he was fully God. And I used to get really confused. Why would God refer to himself as a man, as Jesus referring to himself as a man? Especially we know Colossians 2.19, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Son of Man is an interesting title, as God also calls the prophet Ezekiel a son of man. But I want to note the difference. The Son of Man and a Son of Man are very different. Jesus was the Son of Man. Son of Man was a title of humility to represent him as human. 1 John 4 verse 2, he came in the flesh. This is Jesus. But also Jesus was the human who was sinless, the unblemished lamb, the perfect atoning sacrifice to pay for our sins. And the term Son of Man is a fulfilment of the prophecy in Daniel 7, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was like one of a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. So when Jesus refers to himself for the first time as the Son of Man, this is a big deal. And it's actually really important to his credibility as the Messiah coming. We have to remember that the Jews... Hadn't, hadn't had a prophet for 400 years. God had been silent. And so when Jesus comes, he's born and starts to perform miracles and draw a crowd. Um, he, the people, the Pharisees and the scribes and all the Jews are really looking for, for uh, him. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. So, the authority that Jesus has in this scenario, in all scenarios, is that it's absolute. He has absolute authority. And I find it particularly interesting uh, that the first thing that Jesus says to the man when he is lowered is, your sins are forgiven. Did the man do anything to be forgiven? No. But he placed his trust in Jesus and believed in him. So meanwhile, this is all happening. The scribes are burned up. Verse 7 and 8. Believing in their hearts, Jesus is a blasphemer, claiming to be God. So I find it interesting that after 400 years, surely the Jews are looking for a prophet. Um, They wanted a prophet. They wanted miracles, they wanted signs, they wanted amazement, but they didn't want their saviour. They didn't want to be told that their works aren't satisfactory. They didn't want to be told that their sacrifices aren't worthy. And they were self-righteous and surely didn't want to repent. Why were they not ready for the fulfilment of thousands of years worth of prophecies, Jesus coming? And a simple answer is the love for sin. Self-righteous sin. 
I love that Jesus interprets their thoughts. Can you imagine being sitting in a room thinking and having, you know, the Messiah basically beeline straight out for you? Why do you think this in your heart? That would be really confronting. Um, Even more, I find, uh, as a big deal is knowing that God knows our thoughts now as well. So Jesus makes it very clear to them and to us which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. I know if it was me at that time, I would have been pretty stumped. So Jesus heals the man. The tone of this passage screams, firstly, God wants for man to turn from their wicked ways. The first thing that he does is mention their sin. So that we can be forgiven. If Jesus first looks at our sinfulness, then really everything else becomes a secondary issue. The healing came second. And it was really um, to prove, and Jesus explains it, that he healed the man to prove that he had the authority to forgive sins. Jesus came with power and authority. Later in Mark 8, verse 36, when Jesus is foretelling his death and resurrection, he says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So, in the same way, what does it profit the paralytic man if he's gained healing but not forgiveness? Well, he would have loathed a good life would have been a pretty sweet day to walk out there with the two legs walk, working. But he wouldn't have known the fullness of the grace of our Lord Jesus. And he would have lived, died, been condemned to hell. He would have gained, really, eternally nothing. I'm not saying that it's not a wondrous gift when God decides to heal someone we love. Uh, around us or someone we know. That is amazing. But what far exceeds it and what I believe is the greater miracle is when people uh, repent and God lifts our eyes to see our own sinful hearts so that we can accept Jesus' gift. Jesus has made a way for us to be free from our wretched sinfulness And it's our sinfulness, really, that causes us to endure God's wrath forever. So by giving of himself the atonement for our sins, he paid for it. Even though they weren't his sins to carry, he endured it on the cross. Praise be to him. So when we read through passages like this and we see an amazing miracle, I think it's important to look at the real reason behind it. um, Because it's far far more fulfilling to have gained our souls through Jesus rather than a temporary earthly pleasure. Let's pray. Father, thank you for doing this amazing miracle all those years ago. Thank you for um, providing um, this scripture to us. I pray, Lord, that you would burn it into our hearts not to chase after earthly comforts or amazing miracles, even though they are good. 
In your word it says a foolish generation looks for signs and wonders. I pray, Lord, that above those things we would yearn after you. We would yearn for your love and your grace. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us faith, that you would cause us to repent, turn from our evil ways, and that we would desire to live in righteousness with you. Praise you and thank you for all of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.